Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Cube. Maximize calf performance and health at grass by optimizing the function of the rumen. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Calf Milk Replacer. Hello and welcome to Farm Talk. I'm Barry O'Mahony, in for John O'Connor this week. On the programme, we hear about calls for tougher measures on dog control after a number of attacks on sheep and the recent case in Blarney. This year's Good Food Ireland Awards take place next month and are being presented for the first time since pre-COVID. A new TV series, Food Matters, will air on RTE1 from Wednesday, March 29th. It's a six-part series which explores Ireland's food sustainability and the climate emergency. And there are two high-profile Cork contributors on the opening night. And we revisit Cork's rooftop farm. Three years on, and we hear about its progress and plans for the future. Farm Talk on C103. Well, a new TV series, Food Matters, will air on RTE1 on Wednesday, March 29th. It's a six-part series exploring Ireland's food sustainability and the climate emergency. The series presented by GIY founder Michael Kelly, who's been telling me about the idea for the series. The idea came from, we, we did three three series of a TV show called Grow Cook Eat for RTE, which finished, I suppose, around 2019. And that was kind of very much about the nuts and bolts of, of sort of growing growing food. Um and I think we want we had a sense that we sort of we wanted to take that audience um on a kind of a a, a different sort of a journey into into the bigger picture kind of food issues. And so we 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 in GIY we talk about this kind of you know the changes that happen when people grow their own food, the the sort of food behaviors that they they tend to adapt over time, are the sort of you know things like eating more plants, um, wasting less food, buying more local food, more you know following the seasons and so on. You know they they were the kind of themes that we want to explore for this new series. So that's that's how it came about, and they're the they are the themes for um, for each of the episodes. So we've got one about you know, loving soil, uh, eating more plants, wasting less food, um, following the seasons, supporting local food producers and so on. So I think it's a kind of, it's a journey that we went on starting in, in Grow HQ here in Waterford for each episode and going out and meeting the people and projects that are trying to do things you know, properly and, and in a more sustainable way for the for the food system. And a very topical subject, Ireland's food sustainability, the climate emergency. We're hearing a lot about this at this time, Michael. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, rightly so, because I think the food system is, is responsible for like a third of greenhouse gas emissions or something like that. So it's, it's well up there as a leading cause of climate change. Um, uh, and, you know, in, but in other ways, then it's also you know, one of the most accessible changes we can make in our lives. So, you know, the other the other big picture items in terms of climate change, like transport and energy, it's very hard to make change on an individual level. Um, but with food, we have a choice three times a day as to, you know, to, to make a sustainable choice, like food that's, that's healthy for the planet and healthy for ourselves or not. And um, so it's it's a very accessible way for people to take action. So I think we want it, we want the show to be very, very accessible, very positive and, and show people like these are the kind of changes that people have made and then give them that information and leave, you know, let them make 
decisions themselves about what changes they want to make in their in their food lives, you know. And the series then from one to six, you know, are they stepping stones, Michael? Like does one kind of follow on naturally from the other? I think so, yeah. We definitely wanted to start with soil. Um, so the first episode is called Love Soil and it's 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 really where it all begins and I and I think we've become so disconnected from soil and not really appreciating maybe that you know, it's it's the it's the basis for all life on Earth, including our own. If we if we didn't have soil, we wouldn't we wouldn't have any food to eat. Um, so we start with that and meet some people who are obsessed with soil and and starting to think differently about soil. We've really abused the soil under our feet. Um, you know, very very dramatically over the last kind of thirty to forty years, in particular with the use of chemicals and you know, chemical fertilizers and pesticides and insecticides and fungicides and all sorts of sides, <laughs> you know. So we're um I think I think it's time for a bit of a reset and a rethink about about what how we treat soil and the you know, the the connections between the you know, the, the soil where our food was grown and our own our own health, you know. In the series, the first one, uh, Love Soil, which will air at the end of the month. And you can tell me more about when, when it'll be starting in just a little while. But of interest to us here in Cork, there are two topics on that. Our soil problem, as you've already outlined, Dr. Steve Collins and Derry Duff down there in Bantry, and the future with Brian McCarthy of the Cork Rooftop Farm. Two very interesting subjects and contributors there for the very first programme. Yeah, and two amazing guys, like um, really, passionate incredible entrepreneurs um and yeah steve collins is is a is a fascinating guy he's, he he works on famine relief he's a doctor a medical doctor like worked on fam, famine relief and malnutrition in in africa you know saw the impact i suppose of what happens when the soil system collapses um in terms of famine um and and conflict i suppose and you know, you know, yeah, like kind of gave gave all that up. Uh, bought bought a farm on the side of a mountain near Bantry, um, very marginal land where you know the the typical path, I suppose, would would be to rare sheep. And um, he he wanted to do something different. I suppose had concerns about the impact of grazing on 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 mountain land and so on. And he's growing what are called aronia berries, so they're really like a super superfood very high in phytonutrients, um, super good for you. Um, and he's growing them, you know, at altitude on the side of a mountain, just like an incredible story about how to, how to get really nutritious food from very poor soil. Um, and I think it's a real benchmark for what other, what other kind of, you know, sheep farmers and mountain farmers could, could do perhaps in the future. Um, and Brian, as you said, the Cork Rooftop Farm, like again, an extraordinary entrepreneur, like started, um, started sort of growing on a roof in Cork City where, where we filmed, um, and supplying, supplying is, you know, a box scheme and customers in his, in his shop there in Cork City and now has a kind of a small, um, small holding out the countryside as well where he's, where he's producing food and like, you know, growing growing on a roof where there is no soil, like having to bring the soil in and understand how to make that work and, and you know, employing, I think, five people or something like that, like just an incredible story of what's possible in terms of food production in even the smallest of, of urban spaces, you know. Brian is on our programme a little later on telling us about the success of that Cork Rooftop Farm three years on. Your series then, Michael, when does it air and over how long? 
Yeah, so we're we're starting on the 29th of March, which is a Wednesday, um, at half past eight on RT1, and uh, it'll be on for six weeks. So we've six episodes um, on all of the themes we talked about earlier on. So it'll run up until I suppose you know mid May or so uh, on Wednesday night till half eight. So can't wait for people to see it. I think it's you know as a crew we went on such an interesting journey, which like I think really changed all of the crew you know including the the sound guy and the cameraman and all that like we really changed the way we eat because of just because of being immersed in this whole world and meeting these incredible um, people and projects and like hopefully uh, some of our audience watching will will go on a similar journey with us you know GIY founder Michael Kelly. A Cork sheep farmer says that people have to take more responsibility for dogs, especially during the lambing season. Dan Cronin from Killeen's near Blarney lost a number of lambs in a vicious attack over a week ago. The IFA is calling for the immediate introduction of tighter dog control measures. Dan Cronin says he's been forced to restrict public access to his lands and fears another attack. He spoke to PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM opinion line. To be quite honest, it all happened last Friday evening about half past six. Um, a neighbour uh, of mine came up from down the road and told me that there were sheep on the road, which our sheep don't be on the road. And we went down to have a look and we realised that our flock was after being attacked by dogs. And we found sheep inside. They chased them out onto the public road and they ended up inside in the river. We had to actually physically take them out of the river. How many did you lose? We lost, well, to be quite honest, PJ, we, we you see, we lost, we don't, at the moment, we have five gone at the moment, but that could go up because if a dog basically chases a sheep or bites a sheep, it has very, very little small chance, it has a very small chance of surviving this. So you could be on to me again next week and it could be double. They call it worrying, other than the physical attack where a dog bites and kills a sheep. They call it worrying. And what I'm given to understand over the years, Dan, by talking to some farmers is that experience of being, as they say, worried by a dog, even a little family pet, a harmless old fool of a family dog, that can be from so traumatic for a sheep, particularly a lamb, that their heart just gives out. Well, exactly. And especially, you see, we have, we have some of these sheep now are after lambing. And we have lambs there since before Christmas. And we have lambs three weeks old. And we have sheep to lamb at this very moment. But if you, if you come along and chase, for example, a pregnant Yo, this minute, she just give up. She just give up, and then she just die. They just can't take the stress. And I think it's also worth pointing out, Dan. This doesn't have to be some kind of cross, big, muscular breed of dog. Like I said, your ordinary family pet can cause havoc at this time of year. Any dog, any dog, will it will join a pack regardless if it's a little Yorkshire Terrier up to a German Shepherd or anything, if they meet up together and they go attack the sheep, they'll all join in. Every dog, it's just it's just their nature, but they're not being kept under control. That's the problem. Like the picture that you uh, that was actually on the examiner, that, that is, is, is shocking, to be quite honest. But I, if I, be quite honest, I have, I have photographs on my phone and they would, they would, they would, you just lose, you couldn't believe the pictures that I have on my phone. Were the dogs found, located? No, no, no.
And they say, what we're afraid of is when a dog gets a taste of blood after killing these sheep, more than likely they will come back again. And that's our biggest threat. That's our biggest worry now at this very moment. Sheep farmer Dan Cronin from Killeen's near Blarney. Well, IFA Sheep Committee Chair Kevin Comiskey called for tougher measures on dog control following the number of attacks on sheep already this year and that most recent case on the Cronin farm. Kevin Comiskey spoke about the ongoing problem with Patricia Messenger on C103's Cork Today show. I've been the Sheep Committee six years and this has been on the agenda uh, for all of those six years. So when I was elected in January of 2022, I said I was making it a priority of mine to try and get something in place and some legislation and uh, sanctions in place for this issue. And I knew, as I said, it was a big issue. But since I became elected chairman, I've been called a weekly, if not daily basis and attacks right across the country from small numbers, maybe two, three, seven sheep, right up to where we've seen huge attacks, uh, 50 and 70 in Moneygall and now run different places across the country. When I was talking with Dan yesterday, he was making the point that a lot of it goes underreported. People feel there's no point even reporting it. The dogs and the owners are never going to be found. Yes, it does, especially the smaller, as I said there, the smaller incident uh, goes underreported. People, is that disillusioned with it? And that has been the way. Uh, lack of action, basically, Patricia, from the government and officials. Um, no action been taken and farmers feel let down on the ground. Uh, definitely, that, uh, there's nothing been done about it. So that's why we have been putting uh, strong uh, thoughts together. We have microchipping and licensing, uh, the license linked to appropriate owners, a single national database, appropriate sanctions that reflect the horrendous damage like uh, Dan was described on your show yesterday morning, and the uh, horrendous uh, damage it does right across farms. And then the final one that would be there that I think and is most critical and important is enforcement. If enforcement isn't carried out, you can have all the laws in the world, but if you don't have enforcement, it falls at the first fence. So it's critical. So when it comes to enforcement, are we saying then that we need more dog wardens with greater powers? Certainly more dog wardens with greater powers and a lot more of them. A lot more. There's only about 60 dog wardens in the country. We in IFA estimate eight to 900 dogs, 200 of them possibly about licensed or microchipped. A vast majority of them not done, not under control. So it'll take a significant amount of funding and uh, dog wardens put in place. But this this can't be self-financing when it's the, the dog licenses are being paid and all that, and uh, it'll pay for itself. But we also need this thing of out walking on hills and letting dogs off leads on hills and, and out on walkways. Uh, a campaign, for uh, awareness campaign also to, to deal with these things. People cannot let their dogs out of control out through farmland and across farmland because it's devastating the damage they can do, and it just has to stop. Farm Talk on C103. 
Next, we're talking farm safety in the first of two parts with Tagusk advisor Sharon O'Mahony. Provisional figures for 2022 show there were 12 fatalities on Irish farms, the second lowest figure recorded. 11 people lost their lives in 2021, according to the HSA figures. So I began by asking Sharon if there's room for cautious optimism that the message around farm safety is getting through. These are provisional figures and it does take some considerable time for the Health and Safety Authority to receive an investigate final workplace accidents. Notwithstanding this, the 12 fatalities represent almost half the total workplace fatalities, which accounted for 26 lives lost in 2022. Farming still remains one of the most dangerous sectors in which to work, accounting for less than 10% of the workforce, so it's still disproportionately very high. At best, we could be cautiously optimistic that the safety message is resonating with the farming sector, but complacency, unfortunately, is the enemy of safety. And but just to put the figures in context, of the 12 fatal farm workplace accidents that did occur in 2022, seven were to people over the age of 65, and the other five were, the, I suppose the victims were between 45 and 64 years of age. So on a positive note, there was no childhood fatality on an Irish farm in 2022. The main causes associated then with the workplace fatalities were farm vehicles and machinery, falls from heights and falling objects and one person lost their life by slurry drowning in 2022. Point of concern would be then in the older farming community, the numbers who have lost their lives. You mentioned seven there for 2022. So yeah. why is this still happening, Sharon? I suppose, look, older members of the farming household are particularly vulnerable on Irish farms and do need to be protected. They're particularly at risk of being struck by moving vehicles even a vehicle that's only travelling at a smart walking pace covers two metres per second, so it gives the person in its path very little chance of avoiding impact. So particular vigilance is required if there are elderly people around the yard. They may, in addition, have impaired eyesight or hearing coupled with slow reaction time and reduced mobility. Similarly, extra care should be taken to ensure that the safety of elderly farmers if they're handling livestock, particularly cows around calving. I suppose avoid entering a pen with a freshly calved cow and always have her securely restrained before administering any, anything to either her or attending to the calf. We'd always suggest um, using a tractor or a suitable farm vehicle when herding livestock and always have a fully charged mobile phone with you. So in summary, most fatalities that occur to elderly farmers have been caused by machinery reversing animal attacks, and this does suggest decreased mobility and slow reaction time coupled with reduced flexibility do play a major role in them being unable to avoid these accidents and unfortunately fatalities. Previously, we heard how tractors and farm vehicles are the number one cause of farm fatalities year on year, but 2022 was somewhat different. So maybe you could explain what happened there. Interestingly, over the last 10 years, statistics show that tractors and farm vehicles remained the number one cause of farm fatalities. But in 2022, there was actually no farm death directly caused by a tractor. Unfortunately, in 2022, the number one cause of deaths were vehicles and machinery, and this did result in seven people losing their lives. The most common instances were loss of control of a vehicle or its attachment and the main cause of deaths involving machinery include being crushed under a machinery part, being caught in a mechanism like an auger or a reel, or being crushed between vehicles. All of these are preventable if the correct 
safety procedures are put in place and observed. The dangers of working from heights have also been highlighted, but it's not just from roofs that falls occur on a farm. No, unfortunately. Four deaths on farms last year were caused by falls from a height or from the impact of a falling object. Have you heard the ad on the radio where the commentator goes, your fall only starts when you hit the ground? Then in the in the person's words, it goes on to describe the lifelong implications of the fall, including the wheelchair he can't operate himself, the grapes he can't eat unaided, the carer who has to come in on a Tuesday to bathe them. And while the ad is targeted at the construction industry, it's no less relevant to farming and it highlights the life-changing consequences of a serious accident, irrespective of where it occurs. If we consider the fact that deaths from falling from height have been shown to be predominantly from between 7 and 11 foot, yes, of a ladder, a low roof, or even from a tractor, you're falling at 32 foot per second, and from this height, you don't stand a chance. A ladder should only be used as a means of access or for work for very short duration. By law, the maintenance of a structure which includes a farm shed, is considered to be construction work and the legal requirements for construction work must be complied with. Proper planning, combined with the use of a mobile elevating work platform or a tower scaffold, will allow you to undertake the work safely. Ideally, farmers should avoid carry out work at height at all and use a competent contractor who will both have the equipment and the expertise to do the work safely for them. Tagus training advisor Sharon O'Mahony. Sharon will join us again on Wednesday night for part two of our feature on farm safety. Well, the Tagus Environment Edge podcast has celebrated a milestone of 50 episodes. The latest programme outlined how Tagus is focused on going the extra mile with its Climate Action Strategy 2022-2030 in response to meeting government targets of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 25%. On the podcast, Tagus Director Professor Frank O'Mara discussed the three pillars of the Tagus Climate Action Strategy. Look, it is the issue, I think, that, that the biggest probably issue that's facing agriculture over the, the coming years. Obviously, there's lots of other issues facing us. You know, incomes are always a big issue. There's water quality, there's animal welfare and, and calf transport and things like that. But climate change is an issue that's going to be around for a long time. And I think the, the challenge for, for, for the agriculture sector and farmers and for us as a support agency is to ensure that we can continue to farm and produce food while meeting our obligations around climate change or water quality or whatever. So, look, um, since I became director, we really have identified this as the, the number one priority for us to, to, to help, I suppose, what we can do in, in the whole research and advisory and education area to, to help tackle th- this issue. We, we're not going to, you know, solve it on our own. It's, it's farmers are going to actually have to, to do the things. But I suppose it's our job to make sure that the, the things are there for farmers to do uh, and that they can do things in a way that will still allow them to farm and um, and to help them then to to adopt those technologies or, or to do those things that will make a difference on on their individual farms. You you know nowadays that uh, I suppose climate change has become a real headline. Every headline, every newspaper, it's farmers' journal, for example, every week there's something in it. But you know, one of the headlines that I'm reading lately is by the end of the century, scientists are predicting we could potentially be you know two degrees of an increase, which is massive and will make massive changes globally to the world and temperature and all the other things that comes with it but i suppose 
they're warning that if we don't make massive changes very, very quickly, that there's going to be major problems by the end of the century. And that's not that far away, really. Um, what I suppose are the main challenges that we that, that we face as an industry going forward to 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 adapt to adapt to what's happening? Yeah. So look, the you know the two degrees could even come quicker than the end of the century, um, according to some of the the scenarios that are you know quite that, that are not that far far out. Um, so and look, the, the consequences of that, you know, for for the climate and is, is going to be pretty big, but also the consequences for on the geopolitical side, you know, if, if, if parts of the world become um, more susceptible to drought and, and, and you know, people want to leave those areas for economic reasons, you, you can have increases in migration. And we see all the pressures that puts on on, on every country, um, even ones like ourselves that mightn't be too impacted. Uh, by by the changes in in weather and climate, so so this is not something look that we we can ignore, and and I think every country has to try and do its bit uh, to to um to ensure that we don't uh, reach that that two degree um, change level, and I suppose look that that is one of the challenges. Like it 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 is going to take a huge transition, um, and the big challenge here is to you know wean ourselves off fossil fuels. We use an awful lot of fossil fuels for energy. Um, for for transport, like for electricity generation, heating our houses and offices, and for for industry. And basically, over the next you know twenty years or so, we have to eliminate those fossil fuels, um, or virtually el- eliminate them. And and that's a huge transition. And um, not every country has the the resources to to pay for that transition. Um, it's going to cost us a lot of money in Ireland, but not every country ha- can afford that. So that's one of the challenges. And maybe not every country has the same level of motivation. Uh, that we might have um, uh, in this part of the world to, to try to do that. So, so, so that's a big challenge. And I suppose agriculture has a role to play in that as well, because it is responsible for a, a fairly significant share of the world's emissions. And we know that here in Ireland, it's over a third of our emissions come from agriculture. So, look, the 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 ask of agriculture is a little bit different. You know, we we know that we can't eliminate emissions from agriculture. We're still going to need to use fertilizer. Uh, to to grow crops and and grass, we're still going to need to have animals if we're going to have a a stable food system in in the world. So so we are going to have still have emissions from agriculture. So the ask is to minimise those emissions as much as we can, and whatever is remaining to try to offset that by carbon sequestration into our soils or into you know hedges and woods and forests and so on. So so that's that's I suppose what the role that Ireland and Irish agriculture has to try to play in this big global challenge that we're facing. Director of Tagusk, Professor Frank O'Mara. The 50th episode of the Tagusk Environment Edge podcast can be picked up on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And there's more information about it on the Tagusk website. The Milestone podcast was released on Monday, March 6th. Farm Talk on C103. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Calf Milk Replacer. Welcome back. As you heard earlier, we're joined this week by Brian McCarthy of the Cork Rooftop Farm. His enterprise will feature in the first series of a new television programme, Food Matters, on March 29th. The Rooftop Farm was born out of an idea just over three years ago at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Maureen Tuhig went along to meet Brian McCarthy again this week. Three years ago to nearly the day we, we started the Rooftop Farm and you're in the, the microgreens roof, uh, propagation tunnel and behind us we have our tower farms, so our aeroponic tower farms where we grow salad leaves and mixed herbs and things like that. 
Um, we also have our raised bed. So at the moment we've been building our wicking uh, raised bed. So it's a new form of raised bed that we're putting here on the rooftop uh, to replace the ones that we built originally uh, as they've become quite rotten and, and uh, deteriorated. So the, what we'll be doing with those raised beds is quite interesting actually. We'll be putting them out on a subscription basis. So people will be able to go online and say they want to have a growing space for themselves in in the city centre they don't maybe they live in an apartment they don't have any outdoor space themselves they'll be able to rent a, a micro allotment I guess and grow their own vegetables or or herbs or or fruit and veg and uh, and we'll we'll give them a bit of advice and a bit of help along the way as well and there'll also be a communal space where they can harvest vegetables from also so it's a nice uh, option for people who have green fingers in the city centre. Have you noticed, I suppose, the change in shopping habits? You know, I suppose that people are more conscious of where they're getting their, their fruit and veg from. Yeah, I think, I suppose, at the beginning of the COVID lockdowns, you saw this massive resurgence in 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 in, in local and hyper-local because people couldn't physically go outside that area. And with that brought a heightened awareness of of where people were getting their food um, and I think that's come back again recently with the shortages in supermarkets uh, a lot of people would have seen things like tomatoes and peppers and other fruit and veg not available on the shelves of the supermarkets due to due to loads of factors really I suppose that a lot of the challenges that are going on around um, costs of production and, and different weather events and things so it's um, it's again heightened the the awareness of, of where we get our food from. Um, so yeah, we've definitely seen that 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 mindset change in people. And where it's located here in the city, you know, and when you think of like congestion and things, does any of that impact? I suppose the growth and here. No, not really. I guess where we are is very much off the beaten track with like main roads. We're behind. If if. If I could paint a picture of where the rooftop farm is located, it's almost uh, encircled by taller buildings. Um, you know, we have the corn market apartments on one side, we have Paul Street Shopping Centre on the other, and then we have all the corn market street buildings to the front. Uh, so it's it's kind of uh, secluded little little part of the city, um, quite a peaceful part of the city actually in terms of you know noise and all the rest of it. So no, it doesn't really impact us in that regard. In terms of energy costs, I know there was a post on uh, your own social media page about energy costs and how it impacts. What kind of steps have you had to take now to, I suppose, to curb that and to be able to to keep paying the bills? Yeah, I suppose it's about how we manage production. Um, So last year we would have used heating for our our salad tunnel. Um, that's, That's not an option this year. So... We literally only use heating as a preventative measure when there's serious frosts or colds, uh, snaps. So, like we're experiencing at the moment, so really once temperatures dip below a temperature where it could potentially damage the crop is the only time where we we would use heating. Um, In our microgreen tunnel, because we're able to grow so much more in such a dense space and they are so, so reliant on minimum temperatures, we do have to use heating in there but it's more economically viable for us to do that with those crops whereas it's not with the salad leaves um, and things like lighting and using you know 
dehumidifiers and, and, and as well those machines we've we've had to just manage and push out the thresholds a small bit that we're not using them as often um, it, it has probably meant in certain circumstances it's it's impacted the crop quality but not not to a, a noticeable level and certainly the economics of it didn't stack up to 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 push it in either way I know you've got a lot of exciting I suppose projects coming up you've been working with Glenbrook Farm so tell us a bit about that yeah um really excited about this this development that's come about in the last it's come about pretty quickly I guess um so Peter Peter Toomey and, and his wife Kate we uh we've 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 taken a, a portion of of land on their on their farm and we'll be growing vegetables on it for the coming season um I suppose we're we're hoping to expand um production this year because we we need it to to both fulfill what we have going through the shop uh, in our own CSA so that's our veg box subscription that we offer to people and uh, our our supply to restaurants and we also have a a couple of projects coming on on the rooftop where we'll need a, a larger supply and we we are hoping to put another retail unit in uh, a very exciting area of Cork City as well in the coming weeks and months so yeah there's a lot going on <laughs> so there's a lot to look forward to there with with expanding in the city is it something that you know I suppose local restaurants say you supply local restaurants and things are they really on board with buying local and shopping local and knowing I suppose farm to fork yeah I, I think there's a great ethos of of you know supporting local in Cork um, we've got great food producers on our doorsteps here so for a lot of the chefs, it's really important to them that they're able to, to to find you know really top quality produce as local as possible. And yeah, and we we've been we've been lucky to to team up with some really great chefs and to and restaurateurs and and to build great relationships with them over the last few years. And um, one we're 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 hoping to to push that forward again now this year with with opening our own. Uh, well, with opening a restaurant on the rooftop farm itself, uh, so we're we're just going through the final stages of planning for that, um, and yeah, we're we're really excited about that coming this that that coming up, open this summer hopefully. Brilliant, and I know this summer as well is it Richard Perkins is coming in June for a course on regenerative agriculture. Can you tell us, I suppose, first what regenerative agriculture is? Yeah, so I guess regenerative agriculture. In my de- definition of it, is about farming enterprises that build soil health and sequester carbon. <clears throat> so, a big topic in 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 agriculture and I suppose in in modern society is global warming and the impact that agriculture is is supposedly having on global warming, um, and. Regenerative agriculture is seen as uh, a means to uh, employ farming enterprises that are actually helping the the, the, the global warming um, impacts. And so, the, by by employing enterprises that sequester more carbon, we're drawing carbon out of the atmosphere. So that's and and building soil health and storing carbon down in the soil where it's beneficial to growing crops, etc. And bringing Richard Perkins over for this course, is it open to everyone or, or who's it open to? Or who are you, I suppose, going to encourage to come along to it? Yeah, so the course, firstly, I, I did a course with Richard Perkins myself um, and it was probably one of the most impactful 
decisions I made in terms of where we take the trajectory of the rooftop farm and the learnings I taught I brought from my nine day uh, course with Richard were were absolutely uh, you know invaluable and and I, I I he's one of the most world renowned experts in regenerative agriculture so to have him coming to to our rooftop farm and to give this course is a real privilege and what I would say anyone out there who is who has maybe a startup farm or is a farmer already and looking to maybe transition into more uh, different aspects that would be more regenerative it's a great way to get a good uh, grounding in many different topics on that um, it's an intense course nine days and you you really do take in a lot of very heavy uh, detailed information over that period but um, I, I would highly recommend it we're also um, we've got the National Organic training uh, skill net who are subsidising the course for anybody based in the Republic of Ireland so you can go on to nots.ie and uh, register for the course there or you can if you're from abroad you can go onto our own website corkrooftopfarm.ie um, and, and, and register online there we, we also have um, another really you know world class um, market gardener by the names of Charles Dowding coming in late July so he's coming doing two one-day courses on no-dig market gardening at the end of July. And, yeah, we're super excited about him coming over. Charles has a massive followership um, on social media and has trained, I would say at this stage, tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of people about no-dig market gardening techniques and how to optimise growing in those setups. So have him coming over and giving the opportunity to people to learn from him directly is again a huge a huge step forward for us and it kind of ties in with what we're trying to do here which is build up not only the the farm to fork ethos of what we're doing here but also trying to educate people in how they can do it themselves and brian going back i suppose to the pandemic and when you first opened the rooftop farm did you ever think that today you'd be having such a thriving business i suppose was that ever did you think that that was going to be a possibility uh, definitely not. No, I think when I started this three years ago, all I was trying to do was fill a lot of spare time that I'd suddenly um, become become the become accustomed to and wasn't comfortable with. So, uh, no, I really just started off as an innocent COVID project and grew grew legs from there. So, it's it's been an absolute silver lining for me through from the COVID situation and. Um, yeah, been an absolute, you know, life-changing experience also for me and, um, you know, I, I hope some of the people that are working here as well. And yeah, and tell me about that, like how many people do you employ now? Because you, you've created employment through a, a passion project, really. Yeah, so we, we employ five people full-time, we have one part-time. Um, at the moment we're bringing, it seems every week there's like two or three new people coming through for work experience and things like that, who are, work, who are either doing educational courses in horticulture or farming. Um, so it's great to be able to, to show them what we're doing um, and we are with the expansion in certain areas we'll be taking on another another few people now during the summer as well so the team will be growing which is which is great um, and yeah it's all it's all very exciting I guess and it, you know I'm really lucky with the team I have it's it's I suppose there's not many people out there with uh, expert knowledge in rooftop farming so it, it's for all of us it's been a learning curve and we've all been kind of coming at it from the same uh, base knowledge uh, so it, it's great to, to see us all coming together and coming and learning together as a team as well 
Brian McCarthy at his rooftop farm in Cork City Centre. Speaking there to Cork's 96FM and C103 News reporter, Mairead Tuhig. Farm Talk on C103. The National Dairy Council has announced sponsorship of the Outstanding Contribution to Food Production Award at this year's Good Food Ireland Awards, which take place on the 17th of April. The awards are being presented for the first time since pre-COVID and champion Ireland's primary food producers. Margaret Jeffers is the founder and managing director of Good Food Ireland and has been telling me about this year's awards. Good Food Ireland was founded back in 2006, uh, you know, very much a uh, pioneering the way and the linkage between the whole agri-food sector and the tourism, of, uh, the hospitality sector, really just to, to create economic opportunity between both sectors uh, and, leverage, and leverage that collaboration. So we did, um, we had awards to to kick off in 2006, 2007, and since COVID, uh, we haven't had any awards. So it's been overwhelming, the the response uh, from the industry and from agencies and government to to reestablish the Good Food Ireland Awards. So very excited to bring them back for April 2023. And what do the awards recognise, Margaret? I suppose the big thing that sets the Good Food Ireland Awards apart uh, from any other awards ceremony is is the whole cross-sector approach. Um, Good Food Ireland is uh, very much built on sustainable principles around the whole um, economic uh, benefit uh, through the collaboration of food, agri-food especially, and tourism hospitality. And then the awards, every award and finalist within those categories um, is underpinned by a contribution and a support for using Irish, Irish food um, in their cooking and in their cuisine. Or if it's a food producer or a farmer, um, using Irish ingredients in their product. So obviously primary producers are, you know, the real kings to us. But of course, food producers that create products, uh, be it a drink product or a food product, must be committed to using Irish ingredients. So as we say, you Good Food Ireland producers that make products, they're not just made in Ireland, they're very much made of Ireland. And that feeds into the whole sustainability around you know, thriving for local communities and local livelihoods of people throughout the regions of Ireland. The various categories then that are recognised through these awards, what are these? So again, very much 50-50 between the agri-food and the tourism hospitality. So, you know, you, we have our producer of the year award. So within that, we have categories around our meat producer, um, fish and seafood, uh, fruit and vegetables. So all the kind of core um, products and produce ingredients of Irish farming. And then when it comes to the tourism hospitality side, we've got obviously our restaurants and our hotels. And these are restaurants and hotels. So these aren't just any restaurant or hotel, as we say. These are restaurants and hotels and people that are absolutely committed to prioritizing Irish ingredients on their menus. So this is the basic standard for all businesses to be approved to the Good Food Ireland uh, collection. And, and that is, and Good Food Ireland is a consumer endorsement. So we tell consumers where to go to get this kind of Irish ingredient led experience. And, and these will be our domestic holiday makers, uh, but most importantly, you know, for, for our export opportunity and for our tourism, our international visitors. 
And then we have pub of the year. So again, down to the pub of the year, the type of judging that we do in that is uh, we go the extra mile. So we even look at, you know, the support of the pub for Irish craft beers or, or spirits like gins. And down to, you know, do they have Irish juices? So do they have local apple juices in the pub? Do they have, um, you know, crisps, you know, your Kyo's crisps or your Irish crisps, you know, your Tato crisps, not just, you know, uh, other imported crisps. So really down to the detail. And then obviously Cathy of the Year shops, again, very, very important. Um, shops, these tend to mainly be speciality food shops, but can include butcher shops and fish shops and bakeries. And again, it's, you know, fish shops, for example, where they inform the consumer of, you know, what is, what is Irish, you know, what fish are Irish, what are wild, what are farmed. Then, say, even the, uh, the butcher shops would obviously be, you know, the core primary proteins um, of your, your beef or your, your pork or your chicken. Is it Irish? And if it is, to stay, say it and tell the story of that collaborative support of the, of the butcher working with the local farmer and, and selling their beef or their pork. So these are all the key kind of criteria that are underpin uh, the success of a Good Food Ireland Award. Now, we should have a lot of entries, I'd imagine, from Cork because we would cross all of the uh, categories there, uh, no doubt about it. So how has Cork done in the Good Food Awards over the years and looking at this year? Well, it's interesting you say that because just uh, before this, uh, I, I checked that out and it looks like that Cork has the most finalists in all of the country as a county. We have 14 finalists uh, coming out of Cork. And that they're a beautiful, beautiful cross-sector of the most amazing businesses from, you know, medium to large-sized businesses down to small businesses, all equally, uh, equally deserving of being a finalist. And I suppose the lovely thing as well that we, we are told about the Good Food Ireland Awards is that, you know, a small business can sit beside a big business or even a small little bistro, say, for example, beside a Michelin-starred restaurant or a small um, family-owned four-star hotel beside a five-star luxury hotel, all because they're judged as best of their type. It's not saying one is better than the other, but of their type, they are the best. Uh, So that's a lovely cross-section. When you put those people in the room from all different sectors and from all different levels of businesses, the energy is just overwhelming. So it's about highlighting all of these type of businesses. And, um, and you know, some of them around the country, many people may not have even heard of. So it doesn't matter how big or how small uh, businesses are, if they're doing it. And as we say, you know, walking the talk, they deserve uh, to be a finalist. So finally then, Margaret, when will we get to find out the winners of all of these prestigious awards? When is that coming up? It's coming up on April 17th. Um, It's a lunchtime business celebration. And on top of those awards, uh, I think it's it's really important to to recognize that there will be two awards that are both honorary awards. And one of them is an award called the Outstanding Contribution to Food Production. And this award is uh, an award that recognizes farmers. And we all know farmers ourselves and family and friends. 
that, for example, milk their cows twice a day, seven days a week, and they send their milk to the co-op. And, you know, they don't ever get to, to reach the end consumer, or be it even, say, beef, cat, uh, beef farmers that rear their cattle and look after their health and well-being, um, and then, you know, again, don't get directly to the consumer. This award is going to recognize um, a dairy farmer, specifically in this case, because we've been you know, very, very happy and thrilled to get the sponsorship of the National Dairy Council specifically to support us for this award. So this award is going to recognize an incredible dairy farmer that is going to represent the 17,500 dairy farmers um, that are out there. And, you know, and in Good Food Ireland, we very much believe in giving people reasons to believe. It's about putting the agri-food sector and the tourism hospitality, the food service, the chefs, the restaurateurs into a room together so that they can get to know each other, greater understand each other and do business. Because at the end of the day, this is all built on economics. It's all built on, you know, commercial sustainability and growing that relationship collaboratively and successfully. Margaret Jeffers, thank you. And good luck to everyone in the Good Food Ireland Awards 2023. That's our Farm Talk programme for this week. I'm Barry O'Mahony. Thank you for listening. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Calf Milk Replacer. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes biotin, yeast sac and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.